Welcome, dear viewers. Uh, we are here on the channel Alatra TV India. And for those who joined us for the first time, uh, this is the project Creative Society, uh, which is being conducted on the platform Alatra International Public Movement. And it's being carried out by people from all over the world. And the aim, the goal of this project is to create the conditions for such a free, stable, peaceful world where everyone wants to live. And we talk to people uh, exactly about their vision, how they want to live in order to achieve this goal as soon as possible because it is already happening. That's why we're here today. And uh, I'm here, Antonia, from Berlin. Jason is co-hosting from the USA. <laughs> Jason, hi. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm gonna give the introduction of our wonderful guest, brother and friend, Dr. Kumar Iyer. Uh, he's a sustainable strategy mentor, an expert in business, strategy, innovation management, and sustainability. We met our friend here uh, today thanks to the Six Degrees of Connection, who uh, we had been invited by Ashwini, uh, who is the head of impact, uh, head, impact head at Rise Infinity Foundation. And furthermore, uh, who, who was invited to the project uh, creative Society by our friend Needy. We are curious where the chain of these connections will lead to as uh, Dr. Kumar here shows an example that it works. Um, and welcome to our program, Dr. Kumar, and thank you for accepting our wonderful invitation and being here with us and sharing the same goals and visions for all of humanity. So first question for you is what inspires you in your work and, and what is your goal in your work uh, that you would like people to hear today? It's okay. Uh, thanks for the invite, uh, Antonina, and uh, thanks for the wonderful introduction, Jason. Uh, it's very difficult not to be inspired when you're working on a cause which is dear to your heart. What keeps me going is the fact that I believe that I can make a difference. And this is something that I want to do, not something that I have to do. That's what keeps me going. Now, how did I get into this? Uh, coming from an engineering background, I've been in manufacturing industries all along. And over the period of time, it became fashionable to talk about sustainability. And uh, sustainability meant ticking a few boxes here and there, making sure that uh, you are saying the right words at the right time, making the right noises at the right forum, and uh, garnering accolades in the process. But what I soon realized was that all this is a huge amount of greenwashing we're not actually walking the talk when it comes to being truly sustainable. In fact, there is a huge amount of confusion when you talk about sustainability itself. What is sustainability? When I talk to people about sustainability, I tell them I'm a sustainability strategy mentor. They say, oh, so you're an environmentalist. I said, no. Sustainability is much beyond being an environmentalist. 
So environment is one aspect of being sustainable. You cannot, you, you, of course, you cannot be sustainable if you ignore the environment. But just concentrating on the environment doesn't make you sustainable either. This is what led me on my journey. And I realized that I came up, I mean, and, and when I went on this sustainability journey, the first things that, that pop up in your face, anyone who is on this journey, is the concept of the triple bottom line. The triple bottom line of people, planet, and profits. And then by extension, I came to know about what is ESG, what are the SDGs which are signed by these nations, and uh, so on and so on. Everything that is there in the general ambit of the sustainability uh, dialogue all over the world. What I realized when, when I delved deeper into this is there are two gaps which exist in this dialogue. One, everyone talks about stakeholders, yet nobody honestly knows who all their stakeholders are. I mean, you will, when I sit down and discuss with people, I realize that some of the partners whom they consider as stakeholders are not stakeholders at all. Whereas some of the essential stakeholders find no place in the dialogue. That is the first gap that I found. The second gap that I found is that even when we identify these stakeholders, there is no dialogue between stakeholders. The one who makes the decision assumes that this is what my stakeholders want and not the other way around. You never ask your stakeholder why that person or that entity is a part of your ecosystem. Why do they want to be associated with you? What are their aspirations? Why are they a part of this whole process? And you just assume that they have no choice, so they will be with you no matter what. And that is the second big gap in the sustainability dialogue. So based on that, I came up with the idea I mean, the quadruple bottom line as an idea has been talked about several times. It's not new. But what the novelty that I brought to the process is that the fourth P that I added to the triple bottom line is principles. Thinking from here. Thinking from your heart. I mean, when, whenever you do anything, does your conscience tell you that this is right? Would it be fair if this is done to you? The minute you, you feel yes, then what you're doing is right, what you're doing is sustainable. You don't need, you don't need uh, complicated theories for this. It's very simple. It's, I mean, the, the beauty of sustainability is that it's a very simple concept. Unfortunately, we've complicated it so much that the real message 
is hidden among all the peripherals on which we are taking actions. So this in a nutshell is how I got to where I am, how I am now putting out this message to, for the world. And I hope that people who are watching this broadcast today, some of you at least, this will strike a chord and make you pause and think about what is being discussed today. Absolutely, absolutely, because this is why we got inspired also by your participation in this Rise World Summit. And what you talk about, this is the same um, when we look at the global situation in our society, this uh, consumer mindset from uh, about, you know, only me, mine, uh, I, what about me? Um, this is all around this goal of profit, thinking only of ourselves. And we need this perspective of we, ours, our common goals, which is exactly the stable, peaceful, and uh, flourishing world, flourishing society. So how do you think what is the basic for such relationships between the people? So what should be the fundamental for such um, communication between us? Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, today, the society has placed such a premium on being successful. And success is measured in monetary terms, unfortunately. So the emphasis is on making money. The more money you have, the more successful you're deemed to be. And this has led to the self-centricity which has crept into the system. I do everything for me first. Me, then my family, and if I have any will left over, then I will do for the others. Unfortunately, what we don't realize is that we are not alone. Thinking about me alone will never help. I, I can give you a very simple, very simple example. You have a beautiful house with every modern amenity in it. But if, you, if the neighborhood in which your house is located is trashy, you yourself would not like to live in that house. So what's the point of creating a lavish lifestyle for yourself, which you could never enjoy? That's exactly where we are going to now. If you extend this metaphor, you will find that even within countries, there are pockets of extreme affluence and there are pockets of extreme poverty. A huge disparity in the, the lifestyle within a country itself. How can the country ever call itself successful or sustainable when it is not able to take all its citizens along with it on any journey that it undertakes. This is, this is the fallacy that we see today. The ones that have it don't want to give it up. And what is happening is that the ones that don't have it are forced to grab it. And that is leading to stripes, it's leading to tensions, and it's, there's a total breakdown of equality and justice in the world. 
Absolutely. Um, Jason, do you, you wanted to add something? No, it was wonderful. Go ahead, Antonia. Go ahead. It's just because I, I remember Dr. Kumar, you also mentioned that um, exactly these extreme uh, differences, um, they're creating um, the conditions for crime. And people who uh, not think of others, they just need to build high walls in, uh, in order to protect themselves. But we don't need it. So we are not, um, I mean, we are not enemies to each other. We just need to turn our perspectives because everyone will benefit if we have a flourishing neighborhood. I really, I would like to see my neighbors happy and, uh, you know, um, having everything they need in order to have this time to develop themselves, to do what they want, what where they will be also successful because, this is another measurement of being successful, not by money, but how you're passionate about your work. And I think uh, exactly the fact that we having you today uh, as a guest is exactly this example, how you are being passionate about achieving this goal because it is touching the hearts. That's why I thank you very much one more time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Be beautifully said, actually. And you, you brought up uh, an interesting point. Justice and equality. Um, this is a very important foundation, uh, which is foundation number seven. But before we jump into that right away, we would like to share with you how it came to be, how this idea of creative society came to be and how the foundations were established. We conducted over the course of nine years, uh, millions of interviews with people all over the world. Uh, and, and much similar to what we talked about before we came on to this broadcast, that there's nothing that divides people. You, know? you come empty handed, you leave empty handed, but people all right. aspire to love, want to be loved and want to give love. And right. uh, this common wish originated into those foundations that we see today uh, in the Creative Society Project of the eight foundations. And they all need to be implemented, implemented as a law. Uh, meaning in each constitution of every single country that they have to be established as the, the foundation, right? Like, you know, the, the cement, if you will, or even the ground. Um, but we know that you specifically are, are passionate and uh, caring about uh, the aspect of equality and justice. Um, what impact will it have on business, for example, or our entire society in a practical and established way? So maybe we just can blend uh, this foundation. So also for our viewers who are not yes. um, uh, not seeing them yet, because this is a big package of uh, eight foundations, and we can blend uh, these seventh. I just yes, exactly. So which uh, means that all natural resources belong to humans, and they are fairly distributed among all people. Monopolization of resources and their irrational use is prohibited. These resources are fairly distributed among the citizens of entire Earth. A human is guaranteed employment if he or she is so desires. Pay for identical position, identical position, speciality, or uh, profession should be the same all over the world. Everyone has a right to private property and income, how, however, within the limits of um, individuals' capitalization, uh, capitalization um, amount set by the society itself. So would you like to share uh, the, your understandings and experience uh, on this topic, on these aspects? Absolutely. Uh, 
as I said before, the self-centricity has enveloped society. We have stopped listening to people. And anyone who has reached a certain position in society deems it his moral right to pontificate depending on his bully pulpit. Now, earlier on, I touched upon how people don't realize who their stakeholders are. The first thing that you need to know is do the soul searching and find out who is impacted by your organization. I mean, this is something which is true, not just for a for-profit. This is also true for not-for-profit. And it's also extendable to governments. When governments enact laws, do they take into account the aspirational needs of the bulk of the populace? Or are these laws made only for a section of society? So this is what I mean by not realizing the aspirations of your stakeholders. So if you know your stakeholders, and when coming to the specific point of equality and justice, uh, if you take the situation of a for-profit enterprise, one of the key set of stakeholders in the for-profit enterprise are the labor. Now, unfortunately, the greed for profit has led to labor being split under several heads. And we have ended up by creating terms such as temporary labor, migrant labor, unskilled labor, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We've added all kinds of monikers before the labor. And for what? Just so we can save some money. The organization can show a higher profit. Now, have you ever engaged with your labor? Have you talked to your temporary labor on what it feels like to be called temporary? What it feels like to be asked to go home after your contract period is over? Have you ever talked to the migrant labor that is there on what it feels like to leave behind a family and work under extreme conditions for meager salaries? This is what I mean by losing touch with your constituency, by losing touch with your labor. Talk to them. You will find that if you take one step forward, they will reciprocate tenfold. It's human nature. We like to be appreciated. If someone pats you on your back, you will, you will respond with double the energy. And you... So that, and that's where we have all these crises coming up. It's because to save a few dollars here and there, we are 
condemning a whole section of our organization to live as secondary citizens. They see people of equal qualification or even lower qualification who are so-called permanent employees living a much better lifestyle. And therein lies the seed for crime. They have to resort to other means to make up that gap. If you are free and if you're open and transparent in your interaction, there was a time in the 1940s and the 1950s when we did not have temporary labor. We did not have migrant labor. And we also did not have crime. There was more equity in society during those times. Now, what is happening is because we want more profits, a lot of these so-called low-paying jobs are either vendored out or vendored out to another geography altogether. You move them, the place of consumption is significantly further away that from the place of production. And all of these compounding one on top of the other is hurting these very labor who are at the bottom of the pyramid. One, they have lost equal pay by being marginalized. And in some cases, they've lost their jobs altogether. And that strikes at the very core of equality and justice. While doing this, what we've also done, see, none of these actions are standalone. There is a cascading effect for each one of these actions. By moving these quote-unquote low-paying or in some even call them polluting activities, to another geography, you've actually increased the pollution in the world. What we don't realize is that ultimately the water is all connected. Over a period of time, what goes into the ocean in India or in China or in Australia is going to end up in Europe and in the US because it's one interconnected water body. The currents are going to take them there. It may happen sooner or it may happen later, but it will definitely happen. The same is with the pollutants that you put out into the atmosphere. So what has happened is while the local population has been deprived of equality and justice, the world as a whole has been subjected to intense climate deprivation, water pollution, air pollution, and we see wildly swinging weather patterns happening. And all that can be traced back to the disappearance of equality and justice. So if you look at it, basically, if you treat every person as equal, you will be able to eliminate the bulk of the ills that are uh, habiting the society today. It seems like I'm giving you a very simple solution, but life is simple. 
we tend to complicate it by ourselves. Once you, it's like an onion. Once you peel off the outer layers, what is inside is very simple. And that simplicity is what we should be looking for. Most solutions in life are simple. And that's why they say, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. That's life. Thank you very much. It's such amazing uh, comparison uh, and such an example where this personal responsibility starts. Because we see this um, connection between our actions and how we end up globally as a humanity, because this is today exactly the picture of uh, our world. We're just observing ourselves in it. And of course, people having um, leading positions in the society have a big responsibility. But let's be honest, this is also our uh, turn to be active, our turn also to communicate with each other, our turn to show what we want. This is why it's so important to share also the vision of what society we want to live in. And this is our main uh, question also to you, Dr. Kumar, since uh, we need to know what we need for, I mean, is a basic of these eight foundations. Is it different or is it not? Not, of course, we are the same. We want the same. But this vision, it is, it's showing how passionate we all about are and how quickly we can achieve this goal. That's why my question to you is, could you share your vision of such a world where you, your family and neighbors and all people would like to live in? from your personal perspective, of course. If you ask anyone, it's not only me. Ultimately, everyone wants to live. You are not constantly looking over your shoulder where there is no crime, where the, the, there are no race uh, differences, where everyone is a brother or a sister, irrespective of what is their religion, what is their ethnicity, what is their uh, political belief. I mean, that's what we all want. And that's possible. If you treat the other person's opinion as valuable. If you, if, I mean, there is a reason why we have one mouth and two ears. Talk less, listen more. If you do that, you will be creating this society where everyone has a voice and everyone's voice is heard. I mean, that's, that's the kind of society that I want to live in. And when everyone, when my aspirations are being met in society, I will think twice before I infringe on someone else's aspirations. I mean, when I realize that I have got in proportion to what I deserve, then I am not going to be aspiring for something that I know that I don't deserve. This, this is, of course, I mean, it may seem too simplistic, but all this comes from dialogue. And today we've stopped having a dialogue. It's only one way street. As I said before, the people who have reached certain positions of affluence in society 
think that it is their moral right to talk down to the people who are below them in the pecking order. So I would, I would like to have a society where every voice is heard, where the SDGs as they stand today do not resemble a piece of paper that has no value, but actually stand for something meaningful. Where when you draft the SDGs, you actually listen to the people who are most affected by these SDGs. Where talking about diversity, talking about gender equality is not just fashionable, but is practicable. The question is not who is behind us, the question is who is next to us. See, when someone says, oh, Steve, with your creative society, who's behind the creative society? Nobody. See, I stand next to people around the globe. I stand next to people around the world. I don't lead anybody. I don't follow anybody. I stand next to my brothers and my sisters. Seema said this from India. Dr. Seema said, we're all one family. These are all my family. The Creative Society, you can do a few things right now. One is take personal responsibility and say, you know what, I'm in. I like it. I'm going to decide that we can make a difference. I choose that there is a solution to all of the world's problems. I will take personal responsibility. What is the mindset? One of my favorite quotes is this. If you believe you can, or if you believe you can't, you are right. You know, Dr. Kumar, our friend Steve highlighted some uh, amazing points that you've already discussed with us previously and during this phone call, but we're going to reiterate it in such a way. From your experience, when we, all of humanity, uh, unite and are united by one common goal, how does every person feel in such a community? And you've given us experience of that. So can, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh being or considering yourself as one community means that your interaction with a person goes beyond the person. It extends to his family. It extends to his society. You take, you take an interest in, the, in his family, in the well-being of his family, and you have to create conditions whereby you're actually forcing the other person to treat his family the way you would like to see his family being treated, his or her family being treated. One of the things that when we look at the QBL, and I mean, I'm going to get into a little bit of the technicality here, and when we talk about interaction with stakeholders, and when we talk about interaction with labor, when the labor has an aspiration of a fair wage and of being treated equally and with, with uh, justice, as owners or as the uh, promoters of the organization, you are in a position to actually make a difference in the life of that person. You can insist that 
fine, I will treat you the way you expect to be treated at work. In exchange, you will treat your family the way your family expects to be treated. Can you give me a commitment that your kids will have a minimum level of education in the world going forward? Can you give me an assurance that you will treat your daughter the same way as you treat your son? Will you give me an assurance that you will not support child marriages? If your daughter wants to study, will you allow her to reach a certain station in life? If you have an aspiration from me of, of equality and justice, your family has the same aspiration from you. And on behalf of your family, I am expecting that from you. So this is what it means by treating everyone as one family. If you can go that extra mile and speak for the underprivileged, because the family in most cases may not be in a position to make the demand of the, the person who is the provider. So if you can make this call on their behalf and force him or her to make this commitment, you're actually living up to the ideals of one family. What Steve mentioned about not being led nor leading, this is what it is. Not only thinking of me, but thinking of we and thinking of your family as my family and thinking of your kids as my kids and ensuring that they get the same opportunity in life as my kids are getting in life. That's what I mean by having, that's what I mean by saying that the QBL ultimately boils down to being a beacon for equality and justice. Because the proper engagement between stakeholders will ensure that no single stakeholder gets an advantage over any other stakeholder. One of the things about the QBL, we did not discuss the QBL today because we're talking about uh, more fundamental things, but in the QBL, environment and society are treated as equal stakeholders, not in an afterthought of post-profit. Most organizations, today think of uh, corporate social responsibility as something that comes out of their profit. In the QBL, both the environment and social responsibility are come before profit. You will make profit only if, they, if these stakeholders are also treated with equality and justice. Your engagement with local governments how much engagement do you have with your local government to ensure that the tax dollars that you're contributing to the society, to the uh, uh, government, the local government, is reinvested in that area? Do you really care about these things? Your sense of equality and justice, your sense of being one with society, stems from these actions. How active, how, how much do you really consider yourself to be a part of the society? 
If you were really a part of the society, if you thought that everyone is equal, if you really thought that and not just said it, then you would take these actions. You would consider everyone as one large family. When you see, this is what I said, and we talked about this in one of our earlier conversations as well. I can prosper only if my neighborhood prospers. I can prosper only if my district prospers. I can prosper only if my city prospers and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it comes down to I can prosper only if the world as a whole prospers. That is what is the real essence of, I guess, what Steve was mentioning of thinking yourself as one and all in society. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, many, many people who are watching us uh, today probably asking how we can achieve this goal because what we do, we inform each other that it's already happening. So what can we do in order to spread this information as quickly as possible? What do you think? What can everyone contribute? If you decide that this is what I want to do, then you can start doing it from now. You don't have to wait. The common refrain that I hear is, oh, but we need policies from government. Do you need the government to come and tell you that doing good is a crime? Is the government going to prosecute you if something is being done in the interest of fair play? If you're ensuring that the families of the people who are in your, who are underprivileged or less privileged than you are benefiting by your actions, which are being done within the ambit of social norms. Is the government going to step in and say, sorry, you can't do this? I don't think there is any government anywhere in the world which stops you from doing this. So why do you make, an, a make policy as an excuse for not following your heart? You don't need policies. You just need to have the will. I mean, we just had a pandemic, which we are just coming out of. India witnessed a huge upsurge of public support. Everyone contributed in whatever means they could to ensure that the underprivileged got the, whatever they were lacking in. We never saw anyone being thrown in jail because they were doing this. There is no policy which says that you have to help, but we did. So don't think about policies and don't wait for policies to happen to do the right thing. Second, always remember when you, before you, and I mentioned this already in the beginning, before you take an action, think, how would you feel if this is right? If this were to happen to you, how would you feel? If you say, if your heart says, I'll be okay if this happens, go ahead and do it. You don't need government permission to do it. If, it's, if you're not breaking the law, no government is going to come and tell you, sorry, you can't do this. So, and I said, these are simple things. You can start doing it from now. I mean, I, I heard about, I mean, I've read about this somewhere in Europe about the cup in the wall that, that exists. I think it's in one of the Italian towns where you have, you can actually donate a cup of coffee on the wall. 
you put a cup on the wall and anyone off the street can walk in and uh, take a cup of coffee. There are such instances happening in India. Uh, in Kerala, for example, there are restaurants where you can, there is a box kept on the side and you can just put in money into the box and any person who is hungry can just walk into the restaurant and have a meal and walk out again. If they can't afford to pay for it, they're still fed. Does this call for a law? No. I mean, you are trying to appease hunger by actions, which are, no, there is no law which says that you need to do this. There is no law which says that you don't need to do it. There is no policy for this. You're just following your heart. And that's exactly what, what is called for in today's times. Don't wait for, if you want to make a difference, there is no right time to start. Every, every minute is the right time. You can start practicing it from now. This is what I would like to say, that if you have something, if you want to do something, and, you, and it feels right to you, and you wouldn't mind if it happened to you, go ahead and do it. And since we talked today of simple things, how simple is that, then achieving the goal, building such a world where we have a stable economy, free education, free healthcare, uh, where we really don't have to be afraid of tomorrow or of any other crisis uh, that we face today. Uh, as simple as that, we just need to inform each other. And uh, we use today the um, theory of six handshakes that says that we all people are connected in less than six other connections. And we use the, the project, the idea, the goal of building such a world as a, yeah opportunity to connect to each other. And Dr. Kumar, we know that you would like to invite someone to the next interview so that this chain can be preceded. So would you like to tell us whom you would like to invite next? Yeah, I have a person in mind. Uh, uh, she's a wonderful lady. She actually uh, is someone who gave me the confidence in my conviction. Uh, she's a, a personality coach based out of Singapore. I would, uh, and uh, I interacted with her. Uh, she was the one who helped me concretize my thoughts who actually led me along this journey where I could articulate my vision and uh, gave me uh, encouragement and support, opened up avenues, a few avenues, so that my voice could be heard across various forums. So uh, Ms. Minal Jatiani, she's uh, the person who I would like to tag as the first of my uh, the next handshake along my chain. And uh, it would be a pleasure if you could get her onto this forum and talk to her as well. Thank you very much. We are happy to proceed these wonderful conversations and to meet more such wonderful people as you. Thank you very much for your contribution and such touching words and understandings that we really need today uh, to remind of each other. It has been my pleasure talking to you all. And... Uh, uh, I know this is just the beginning, and, uh, uh, in, and I will be there supporting you every step of the way, uh, for sure. Thank you so much for that conviction and very simple words. None of us here today, uh, not our tech team, not me and Antonia could have said it better. 
Um, but we're going to ask one more thing that uh, we would like to share our website demonstration so that people know how they can join us and how they can stand by what you talked about today and uh, your, your quadruple bottom line and how each person understands the creative society in their own way and they're already living it. So thank you. So this is just a join us button. And um, as you mentioned, Dr. Kumar, we just get uh, connected directly to each other uh, without any middleman, just uh, go into this dialogue and learn from each other how we can mm -hmm. achieve this goal together. So everyone is very welcome to participate because the Creative Society project is the project of uh, the whole humanity, of me, of you, dear viewer, uh, of our guests, because we want to live in such a world. And this inspiring idea touching the hearts, that's why um, thank you very much for being today with us. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Kumar, one more time. And uh, see you next time. Bye -bye. Definitely, it would, it would be my pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Unprecedented event of present history. Initiative that comes from people around the world. Main project of humanity. People stopped being silent about urgent issues of our society. How it all started. May 2019. International Online Conference, Society, The Last Chance. 140 countries of the world, hundreds of thousands of people online, hundreds of broadcast platforms, translated into seven languages simultaneously. If we all want to live in peace, why do we have a world of violence and destruction? It is up to us to build a different world. How can we do it? December 2020, Creative Society, United We Can, 180 countries of the world, millions of people online, thousands of streaming platforms, 35 languages simultaneously translated. People have voiced today's reality and what they truly desire. And it is the Creative Society. All cultures have an image of the ideal world people want to live in. A world that prophets talked about. The time has come when we can make it real. How will we use this chance? Let's meet March 20, 2021, 3 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time international online event of global scale. Creative Society, what the prophets dreamed of. This is the day the world will unite to find out the truth, join the entire humanity, and spread the message.